And so it seems like everything that God has established is being turned upside down. And this has all happened since the fall of man, and it will continue. But if we would lay hold of the Holy Spirit and the need for him in our lives, and when we finally begin to realize all he wants to do for us and through us, we can change this world back to what is right, what is godly, and what God desires. And so that brings me to Genesis 2-7. And it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And so God made man from the dust, from the ground. It's nothing, nothing to get excited about. But then God breathed into man his breath, and man became a living being, a living soul, or a living creature, which means that we have a mind now. We have a soul, and the soul is made up of three parts, the mind, the will, and the emotions. And so we have a physical body, we have the spirit of God, and in the middle we've got the, our, our soul. And, you know, now we're alive, and now we, we can begin to reason and think and uh, feel and, and all of those good things. But um, we have to realize that God had great plans for humanity when he created him, and he still does. He hasn't changed his mind on the great things that he has planned for us. And if you remember, part of their great plans were to take care of what he had given them. And he created a garden for them. And, you know, in our minds, we may think of a garden, you know, maybe something the size of this building. But it was bigger than that. But his intention was for them to work it, to take care of it, to have dominion over it, to outgrow it, you know, physically, spiritually, to do what he had called them to do. And so when he placed them there, it was a test. And it was a test simply to see this, if they would trust God or not. That's all it was. And so mankind was to uh, expand their reach as they grew bigger and bigger physically and as they grew stronger and stronger spiritually and have a positive godly effect on the rest of the earth living beyond where God had placed them. And when we look at this, we have to understand that this has to be true in our lives as well. You know, we come from, before we get saved, we have to know that we need salvation. Then once we get saved, some of us stop there. And God doesn't. He has great plans for us. And he wants us to grow in our relationship with him. And it, it brings me back to this garden place that he wants our lives to be different than the way he found them. He wants our lives to uh, affect the earth in a positive, godly manner. He wants us, he desires that we become the light of the world. Why? Because the world needs it. And if we're it, if we're not lighting the way, then it's not going to happen. And just as God gave them a little bit, and as they would be faithful, then his kingdom would expand through them. The same is true for us today. He gives us a little bit, which is really you, you, your heart, your mind, your emotions. And then he wants to bring healing there so that we can give that away to other people. And, you know, I, we've always told our children that they're going to be world changers. 
And that should be the desire of every person alive that knows Jesus. But we have to understand that God wants to and needs to change us first and then allow that expansion of his kingdom to come through us through our growth, through our walking with him. If you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 1, please. Acts chapter 1. And this is part of what God was putting together when I was waking up because it was like I was understanding Genesis differently and then I was connecting it to this and I'm like, God, this is good. Now, if you don't like it, you can blame it on me. Don't blame it on him. Because ultimately, I have to try and speak it as I heard it. But especially today, we're looking for political change. We're looking for things to come through the political system and to have a sense of the political system saving the world. But if you haven't figured it out, it's not going to happen. But if you haven't figured it out, everybody's looking for that. We're going to see in Acts that they were looking for that. They were looking for Jesus to be able to overcome the hardships that they were facing through the political system. But we need to see a spiritual revival in our hearts and in our minds, in our lives. And then we will see the godly chains that we so desire in the world and the change that God so desires. And so if we say that we want revival, then we have to realize that it has to begin with us first, no one else. It starts with the church, with us experiencing the Holy Spirit on a daily experience. I don't, you know, daily encounters. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, it reads like this, and, and, you know, I think we're seeing a little bit of this today in the world because we want the political system to establish it. But God has another way for his kingdom to come, and it's through the resurrected Jesus in us. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And so, again, that's their political mindset because they were wanting Israel to be established again and, and Israel to rule and reign. So, And this is his response, verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But, verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so it's not a political battle that we are fighting, though as believers we should be involved in the world and in the political system with our godly influence for good. But God is starting with us, a small thing, and he's trusting that when he gets a hold of us and we begin to encounter the Holy Spirit and experience the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, then we're going to begin to see a change in us, and that small change is going to eventually become a big change in the world if we will continue in that. And we have to understand, in order for God to do this, the first thing that he did was bring us back into a right relationship with him. 
That was his main concern. It wasn't the political system. It wasn't the evil and the darkness that's going on in the earth. It was that we would, the first priority that God had was to bring us into right relationship with him by us putting our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ in the cross. And so when we become born again, then that's when God begins to start working because when we become born again, our spirit is made alive unto God once again. We're made one with God. And then from that point on, we begin to make a difference for good in this world because we know that's going to carry on in our life. Okay? And so just like God gave Adam a little portion of the earth to rule over, so he gives us a little portion to rule over. And again, it's called us, it's called you, it's called yourself. And so um, just as God told Adam to have dominion and to go and conquer more territory, so he's telling us that when we grow up, when we become what God uh, desires, and when we have received the Holy Spirit, we have power. We have power to reach the ends of the earth. And to me, that's very systematic. It's not hit and miss. If you look at verse 8 again, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Who's going to be his witnesses? We are. Okay? But then he says, in Jerusalem. So it's a little small place. Then he broadens it to Judea. Then he broadens it a little bit more and goes in a different direction and encompasses Samaria. And if you know anything about Samaria, Jews don't want to go there. And, you know, but God loves those people. And so he starts off small with them. And to me, it's just like he did with Adam and Eve. You know, this is his plan. And then he says, and to the end of the earth. Um, And so we have to understand that this is how God works. And if we will begin to listen to the Holy Spirit, allow him to grow us, develop us, bring us to the place of maturity, then wherever we go, we're going to deposit some of him. We should leave some of him behind. And the reason I say that is because God is never impressed with you. But he's impressed with us being not just filled, but overflowing with the Holy Spirit so that he is left behind wherever we go. Because in reality, you can study the scriptures out all you want, but this is what you're going to find. It's not about us. It's not about you. It's about others. And God is working in us, but the only reason that he's working in us and for us is so that we can give away to others what he has done in us. And, you know, I have a sense that we have neglected the doctrine of the Holy Spirit to a point where we um, virtually deny him his place in the Godhead and even in our lives. And we can know about the Holy Spirit. We can study about the Holy Spirit. But until we put him into practice, until we experience him beyond salvation, you know, some of us get stuck with, okay, I'm saved, so I'm happy. No, if, if that's your mindset, you're not going to be happy. You're going to be miserable. Because it's not about your salvation. Just for you. He saved you so that you could change this world. But 
if, if we're not connecting with the Holy Spirit, if we're not experiencing the Holy Spirit, then all we're doing is walking in our own strength, in our own wisdom, and that doesn't amount to much. And I, I think if we think about this, which we probably don't, but Adam, when he was tempted, I believe that he had the opportunity to draw on the presence of God, on the Holy Spirit. But he chose not to. I believe the Holy Spirit was there because when I'm getting ready to sin and I'm getting ready to do something wrong, I have this other voice talking to me and telling me, don't do that. It's not good for you. But I have to make that decision, right? And so we don't always think that that's happening with Adam. We think that he just made this decision on his own without any contemplation about this. But I don't agree. I, I believe the Holy Spirit was dealing with him and trying to get him not to, but he did it anyways. But, it, you know, and God had a plan. And so the Holy Spirit needs to move from being incidental in our lives to being fundamental and necessary for us to the point where we can't live without him. And it's only then that the Holy Spirit will once again be able to assert himself through us and among us. And I believe that when that happens, revival will happen. But it's got to start with us first. And we can't simply be satisfied with knowing about the Holy Spirit. We have to experience him in a greater measure every second of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year. I mean, that's what he wants to do. And, you know, whenever I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, I always have in the back of my mind. I mean, it's just because it, it's made an impact on me in John chapter 16 where Jesus said, it is to your benefit that I go away. It's not coming up. I didn't put it in. But it is to your benefit that I go away because if I go away, I will send another. And, you know, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And if it's to my benefit that Jesus goes away, then I want that benefit. And I want that benefit working in my life as much as possible. And, you know, one of the things that I shared as we began the, the life group on the Holy Spirit was, uh, one of the struggles that I see in the church is we have limited the Holy Spirit and all the gifts in his working to our little time here in the church. And I don't believe that that's what he's intended those gifts for. I believe that they are for the church, but I think it's just for us to practice in the church so that when we're at work, when we're on the job, when we're contemplating things, when you're struggling in your marriage, when you're struggling with your children, when you're struggling with your finances, you can ask the Holy Spirit and He can lead you and guide you. You know, and, and when you're at work and um, God may give you a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge for somebody at work. And yet we will not respond to it. You know, going to the restaurants, we have to be sensitive to that. Because the Holy Spirit wants to love on everybody, not just the church. He wants to love on everybody. And there's somebody at your place that you come in contact with or you shop at 
that needs to know about Jesus. And so we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. If we have a knowledge of the Holy Spirit by description alone, okay, by just studying, we have nothing. But if we have knowledge of the Holy Spirit by experience, we have everything. And so there's a difference about knowing about versus knowing. And obviously I don't have this problem, but we can know all about food. Okay? We can know all the values of eating, but if we never eat, what's going to happen to our bodies? We're going to die. We're going to die of starvation. Even though we may have a knowledge of food, we may know the benefits of it, we may know what we're supposed to eat, when we're supposed to eat them, and how much we're supposed to eat them. Which I only have a portion of that. I don't have it all. But, but you know, if we don't ever partake of it, if we don't ever experience it, it's not going to do us any good. And the same is true of our spiritual life. We can know all about the Holy Spirit. We can know all about His works, His attributes, His gifts, you know, but until we experience him and cooperate with him, we will remain spiritually dead. And so we have to be intentional about walking with the Holy Spirit. We have to set our minds to be pur purposeful, to live with the Holy Spirit, to walk with him. Or we go around walking in our own strength and our own wisdom. And again, that doesn't amount to much. And one of the things that we learned through this class was that the Holy Spirit is a person. He has a personality just like we do. The good thing is, is he's perfect in all that he does. Um, but our desire needs to be to become more like him. The Holy Spirit has emotions, intellect, and will. He knows all things. He wills. He loves. He feels affection, compassion, anger. I just thought I'd throw that in for fun. Because sometimes we don't think that, but he does. If we feel it, you know he feels it, but he just does it right. He feels joy and peace. And everything that we experience, the Holy Spirit experiences. And I was thinking about this after I put it in, and I thought, does he experience disappointment? Because we do. The Holy Spirit thinks, he sees, he hears, he speaks, and he performs any act that a personality is capable of. And then I want to share with you this. and um, I'm hoping that you'll think about this this week. The Holy Spirit, as all that he is, it says that he can penetrate us. He can come in to our hearts and to our minds. Isn't that amazing? And the funny thing is, is he doesn't get rid of our thoughts for us. He doesn't get rid of those things in us. But he comes and he takes residence there, waiting for us to 
experience him and to allow him to begin to take over our lives. And not in a sense of being mean, but when we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, then what's he going to do with our thoughts? Well, he's going to begin to correct them. He's going to begin to tell us, no, that's not the right thought. Here's the right thought. And so we have to know God's word. So, you know, or you're coming up and, and you have this emotion. Maybe it's anger and, and it's raging within you. And the Holy Spirit, he'll be like, uh, we need to calm that down a little bit. We need to work on this. And then we have a choice to respond to him or yield to him or not. He's there, but he's not always going to change who we are and how he found us until we yield to him, until we cooperate with him. And so that's why I'm saying it's so important that we give ourselves to him. I mean, I would rather, and I've shared this with you before, Isaiah says that this is, I would rather have God's thoughts for me than my thoughts for me. And I would rather have God's thoughts about you than my thoughts about you. Because his are much better than ours. And yet, that only happens when we give ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And I think we struggle to recognize the Holy Spirit as God. You know, we just kind of, sometimes I think we view him as an afterthought as the last person we can turn to. Like, if the Father doesn't help us out, we'll go to the Son. If the Son doesn't help us out, we'll go to the Holy Spirit. Well, but they're one. So, we can have all of them. We don't need to separate them. The Holy Spirit is God who has come to fill us and to work in us and not just save us, but to renew us and bring true life to us as we allow him. And then for the rest of the time, I just want to talk about this point. The persons of the Godhead never work separately. They never work separately or independent of one another. God is never anywhere present in one person without the other two. If you find the Father, you will find the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you find the Son, you will find the Father and the Holy Spirit. If you find the Holy Spirit, you will find the Father and the Son. There's no separating them. Now, in our lives, there may be an emphasis of one of them for a short amount of time. But even in that time, we have to realize that God is never alone. You know, if, if there's a need for a salvation, then yes, Christ is going to be preeminent there. But if there's a, once salvation occurs, then the next one is the Holy Spirit. And then when the Holy Spirit begins to deal with you and you know that you're saved, then you begin reaching out to the Father because you want to figure out, and I know y'all do this because I did it. And I did it when I was younger and I said, God, why do you love me? And the Holy Spirit brings us 
back to the Father. You know, so there's things that all of them do. They have their own thing, but they're always working together. They're always present together. Isn't that awesome? And that you can turn to John chapter 14 if you'd like. Uh, We'll close up with these scriptures, but I'm not closing yet. I'm just closing up with these two, but I still have more to say. It's interesting that um, in John chapter 14, they want to know what God is like. And so I'll give you the answer now. He is like Christ. So John chapter 14, verse 8, this is what it says. Philip said to him, don't you love Philip? It surprises me that it's not Peter, but Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. <laughs> Isn't that great? So they're walking with Jesus. This is after Jesus has had supper with them, washed their feet, explained to him what he did, and now Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Verse 9, Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Isn't that awesome? How can you say, show us the Father? And so we can ask the question, what is the Holy Spirit like? He is like Christ. Okay, jump down to verse 26. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Isn't that awesome? And... You can find other scriptures where Jesus is letting the disciples know, I and the Father are one. I don't do anything unless I hear from him. How does he hear from him? By the Holy Spirit. You know, the things that I do, I do because I've seen or I've heard from the Father. How did that happen? The Holy Spirit. Since the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, He feels toward His people exactly as the Father feels. Isn't that nice to know? And if that is the case, there doesn't need to be on our part a sense of strangeness in His presence. He will always act like Jesus toward sinners in compassion toward saints in warm affection, toward human suffering in tender pity and love. And we may need to repent for not allowing the Holy Spirit the place of honor He deserves and desires. I pray that we would begin to think of Him as one to be worshipped, and obeyed.
However you think of the Father and the Son, you can think the same thing of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we throw open every door, <coughs> excuse me, and invite him in. That we surrender to him every room in the temple of our hearts and insist that he can enter and occupy as Lord and Master within his dwelling. Which means that we give him permission to begin to lead us out of the out of ourselves and into his way of living. And the Holy Spirit is more than enough in us and for us when we experience him and not just know about him. Let's stand together. And I I want to encourage you this this morning that maybe you need to go home and spend some time with the Lord this week and you need to repent individually and you need to let him know, you know what? I haven't held you in the honor that I need to. I haven't given you the place of honor that I need to. But from this moment on, I'm choosing to do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and the love that you have for us. And Father, I thank you for this time that we've had together. And I thank you for your presence that has been with us this morning. And Lord, I pray that we would realize the need, our need, for the Holy Spirit in our life. That we would be aware of, that we would be purposeful in acknowledging our need for the Holy Spirit in our lives, and that we would be intentional in seeing Him and hearing Him in our lives as He leads us and guides us into all truth, not into what we want to hear, but into all truth, your truth. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. All right, go have a great week with the Holy Spirit.